you're listening to This Week in Health Innovation on Healthcare Now Radio. Welcome everyone, I'm Greg Masters, the Managing Director at Health Innovation Media and Executive Producer of this broadcast series, also serving as your humble host today. I am delighted to have lined up someone on relatively short notice, so thank you very much, Charles, that I've been following for some time now as a go-to resource initially for enrollment and premium rates of exchange-listed qualified health plans, generally now for all things ACA. So who is Charles Gaba? In 2013, when neither the government nor the mainstream media provided consistent, reliable reporting of enrollment data for the Affordable Care Act, Charles Gaba launched ACASignups.net as a hobby using crowdsourcing to track enrollments in real time. His work soon caught the attention of major media outlets and has been cited and used as a media resource ever since, spanning the ideological spectrum, including publications such as the Washington Post, Forbes, Bloomberg News, Vox, MSNBC, New Republic, USA Today, Cato Institute, National Review Online, and the New York Times, as well as prominent medical journals including the New England Journal of Medicine, and the Lancet. Since launching this project, Charles has expanded his analysis to include the impact of the ACA's Medicaid expansion, the Small Business Health Insurance Options Program Exchange, often referred to as SHOP, the Medicaid Basic Health Program provision, which gives states the option of creating a program for low-income residents, and a variety of other Obamacare-related programs. He's also expanded into tracking things like off-exchange individual market enrollment, annual premium rate change averages, and a wide range of healthcare policy, health insurance-related issues, including the pros and cons of moving towards single-payer healthcare, the public option, lowering Medicaid eligibility, and so on. For more information, check out the program description for this episode of This Week in Health Innovation, or go to www.acasignups.net. So, Charles, this started as a, quote, hobby, but appears to me to be a rather full-time commitment. May I ask, what was your real job before you were drawn to this work? Then root us in your journey from then to now. (laughs) Sure. And uh, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Um, so, yeah, basically, I'm, uh, I'm a website developer, or I was a website developer, uh, still I am officially, uh, but, yeah, I'm a, a freelance website developer. Uh, I run a, a small uh, business uh, doing website design, development, hosting, and so forth uh, with my wife, and um, I've been running that since around 1999, actually, and uh, basically about five and a half years ago when they launched the you know, ACA exchanges uh, back in October 2013, um, just as a data nerd, more than anything, really, I just decided to do a little, a little hobby, uh, kind of a nerdy hobby thing, uh, do some crowdsourcing to, you know, start tracking enrollments in the ACA exchanges. And that was at the point when, you know, when the healthcare.gov melted down, they had all the technical problems and, and there were, you know, things were looking pretty ugly at that point. And so that's when I started this and it was supposed to just be a short term hobby and somehow it five and a half years later, and I'm still doing this. <laughs> so, so something short-term and, and part-time has become very much uh, long-term and full-time. So that's uh, an interesting introduction. I mean, most of the people who have passion around making a difference often come in with, quote, skin in the game. 
they have a personal experience themselves, their families, whatnot, and they feel they, they get drawn into this. And uh, once you get kind of sucked in, it's kind of hard to leave. Is, is that is that is that a fair characterization? Yeah, I mean, I, I do not have a, I mean, obviously I and my family have had various, you know, health care and medical uh, issues and, and stories along the way, but that, it wasn't it wasn't like, you know, myself or someone came down with cancer and my experience with that was what led me to delve into, you know, healthcare policy analysis. Uh, for me, it, you know, it really was really just more of a, um, uh, just tracking the data and the numbers and such. And But you're absolutely right. Once I did get sucked in, it, it became increasingly difficult to extract myself. And so, um, so yeah, that's, that's basically, uh, it's pretty much what I do pretty much all the time now. My, my wife actually runs the web design business for the most part. And I, um, you know, check in from time to time, but this is pretty much what I do these days. So, Excellent. And I should have qualified my statement there that usually that profile applies to uh, those who are maybe in the patient advocate space right now who, who, who maybe have that mm-hmm. sort of typical pathway. Anyway, all good. So let's start with your sort of general view of the marketplace in terms of the Affordable Care Act, and some of the other stuff that's going on right now. Give me your top-level take on where you see things relative to the ACA and some key headwinds and perhaps some possible tailwinds to keep moving that program forward so it fulfills its ultimate its objectives you know, to, lower, to create um, accountable care, lower, uh, higher quality care, better outcomes at lower per capita cost. So give us your 50,000-foot view right now. Sure. Uh, well, you know, as has been the case for a couple of years now, the biggest, it, it's hard to get a bead on how, where things, you know, how things are doing when you constantly have the looming, ever, ever looming threat of complete obliteration, you know, sort of hanging in the background. And that, of course, is uh, at the moment, uh, that would be this uh, Texas, uh, you know, Officially, Texas versus Azar, I, I call it the Texas Fold'em lawsuit, um, which is, you know, um, expected to go to the Fifth Circuit Court, I believe, this July. And then, you know, depending on what happens there, then it presumably would be bumped up to the Supreme Court, and we'll see what they do, probably sometime next spring. So, you know, you have that sort of hang, looming over, like it's sort of Damocles dangling over everybody's heads. Um, how, having said that, on the assumption that uh, the court's, you know, rule that they shoot down the lawsuit and that the ACA is preserved again. <laughs> you know, the, the you know, nine, caps are supposed to have nine lives. Uh, the ACA seems to have, have about 200 of them so far. Um, then, oddly enough, things are actually looking either very, either not too bad or pretty bad, depending, again, on your point of view. Um, the marketplace itself uh you know, it, it's mostly stabilized in the sense that premiums kept going up and up and up for several years, up to a point where you know they, you know, now that now the insurance carriers are actually making a profit, so they're actually reasonably happy with things. Uh, the enrollees, uh, you know, the ones who are who are subsidized, for the most part, they're either you know satisfied or at least at worst, you know, kind of grumbling. Um, you know, depending on, on what their specific situation is, the real problem um, is at the top and bottom end of that. That is, 
at the bottom end, you've got people who are still caught in the Medicaid gap, right, in about uh, 18 or 19 states that have not expanded Medicaid yet. Um, or there are some states that have expanded Medicaid or are expanding Medicaid, except that they're adding all sorts of draconian you know, regulations and, and hoops for people to jump through. And then at the upper end, you've got the people over the 400% um, you know, income, uh, 400% of poverty level income who are unsubsidized at all, who have to pay full price for ACA plans. And the, you know, those are the ones who they're just leaving in droves because they just, without financial assistance, they just can't afford you know, the premiums and deductibles and such. So, so in the middle there, you know, between the 100 to 400 range, um, you know, there's around nine, uh, nine to 10 million people uh, who are receiving some amount of um, financial assistance uh, enrolled in exchange policies, and, and they, for the most part, seem to be doing, you know, relatively okay. Uh, and then, of course, you have Medicaid expansion, which, again, in the states that are not screwing around with it, that seems to be going pretty well, you know, around, uh, I think it's around 12 or 13 million uh, people across three dozen states. Um, and, you know, then you have the, the patient protections that are still on the books for everybody else, including the 160 million-odd people in employer plans. So, you know, most of the basics are, still, are, are actually fairly stable uh, at the moment. The problem is that all of those things are constantly under attack. And then again, uh, again, you have the people above and below that range who are who have been having serious problems for a while now. So, so, so the law is a, is a complex law with lots of moving parts because <clears throat> the healthcare delivery and financing ecosystem is a complex ecosystem, and even mm-hmm. with all the chiseling away. Uh, to, I'll just say, sabotage the ACA because I think there's no other word for uh, what's the attempts that have been made to sort of chisel away at the law it really is about sabotaging it. It still stands. So mm-hmm. do you think that under the present political climate um, uh, that there is a way to actually fix the Affordable Care Act, or do you think it will be preempted by some of these newer proposals up to and including <clears throat> what you wrote about at, at some length on your blog, the Medicare <clears throat> for America uh, updated bill by Shikowsky um, and DeLauro? Can you – so the, I guess the first question is, can this law survive as is, and would the AG successful suit against the Affordable Care Act basically – completely throw the entire ecosystem in in virtual chaos or will there be something that steps up and supplants the affordable care act if you're a betting man which, which way would you be looking uh well you know that's that's again that's hard to say my 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 hope of course is that uh is that the lawsuit will be thrown out um and you know most legal scholars, even like even conservative legal scholars, in fact, even conservative legal experts who supported previous uh, lawsuits against the ACA, uh, like King versus Burwell and so forth, even they have come out and said that this, this new one is the most, is absolutely ridiculous, it's ludicrous, it has zero bear, you know, there's no case whatsoever, yada, 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 it makes no sense. So, you know, the betting money is that we're going to shoot it down. On the other hand, these days, who the hell knows, you know, anything's possible, and, uh, you know, we see what's happening in other areas of federal, you know, government and so forth. So, so who knows? Um, 
if it were to be successful, ultimately, and the ACA were to be thrown out uh, in, in large part or, or entirely, then, yeah, it would completely throw everything into chaos. Um, one thing, you know, that, again, as you said, it's very complicated and it's very, as uh, a lot of moving parts. Most people, when they think about it, the only parts that they really know about are, they know there's the Medicaid expansion part, and then they know that there's, you know, the exchanges with the subsidies. And most people don't really get all the others. I think of it like a Swiss Army knife. You know, you've got like the two big blades that you use all the time, and then you have all these other weird little tools <laughs> that, you know, the screwdriver and the mm-hmm. file and you know, all these other little tools that people don't really think about. And uh, most people may not realize they're there, but they are there, and they make a big difference in other people's lives. So there's a whole mess of stuff that would be thrown out as well. Uh, you know, the, the closing of the don- of the Medicaid uh, Medicare Part D donut hole. Uh, for example, is part of the ACA. And then, you know, again, the list goes on and on. There's hundreds of different things um, that affect every aspect of the U.S. healthcare system for everyone. So, um, yeah, it would be chaos. And and the odds are, if it does make it to the Supreme Court, then that ruling would probably be sometime next spring. And now you're in the middle of the 2020 presidential election. So, you know, that ramps up the drama even more. Um, But having said that, um, if it does, if the lawsuit does get shut down and the ACA on the whole survives uh, into 2020, 2020, you know, into the next presidential term, right? Then, um, I mean, you ask, can it survive for a few years? Yeah, it could hobble along um, as it is, and, and you know, without, I mean, it would, it wouldn't be ideal, but it could sort of stumble its way through the next few years and. Um, you know, as long as, uh, you know, obviously you've got the Trump administration and the, you know, congressional Republicans constantly taking shots at it. And then some of the states are, you know, uh, red states are messing around with it at the edges. But the core of it could sort of grind its way through for a while longer. However, some elements of it cannot, cannot continue to sort of hobble along. And that's mainly the two that I mentioned. That there's people caught in the Medicaid gap, right, where, where they're below 100% of the poverty line in states that did not expand Medicaid. Um, and I think there's around maybe like two or three million people caught in that situation. And then there's at the other end, uh, you know, sort of the middle class folks who earn, eh, let's say between 400 and 800% poverty, you know, like between, if you're single, that's between like 50 to, you know, maybe $80,000 a year, you know, that range. Uh, who have to pay full price, and so those are the folks who have been either dropping coverage altogether now that the into a, you know now that the mandate's been repealed, they're either dropping coverage altogether or they're signing up for you know, basically junk plans, short-term plans, and, and you know indemnity plans and so forth. And there's horror stories all over about those. So those are the two areas that really need to be fixed, no matter what. And that's why I'm, I'm hopeful. Uh, that uh, you know, recently the, the last month the um, the House Democrats you know, rolled out this. It, it, the official name of the bill is really long and stupid. <laughs> I just call it ACA 2.0, <laughs> and it's basically just a suite of about a dozen fixes, um, and some are minor, but some are pretty major that would vastly improve the ACA. Um, and um, you know, those hopefully will go through uh, the House. Uh, and then they'll be stopped in the Senate, and they won't go anywhere because, of course, Mitch McConnell will not allow anything to go through the Senate. So um, 
the odds are, sadly, the odds are that very little good is going to be done before January 2021 at the earliest. Uh, and that's all going to depend on the election. You know, that's the thing is uh, if um, if the Dems don't retake, you know, basically if they don't get a trifecta <laughs> or, or close to it, then um, the odds of, of any improvements on the healthcare front are pretty slim. There may be a few areas. Uh, prescription drugs, there seem to be some, some bipartisan movement on the prescription drug medications, uh, 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 costs, as well as, um, you know, surprise bills. Uh, that's a big thing in the news lately. And then possibly opioids. Those are a couple of areas where there seems to be some bipartisan agreement. But in terms of, you know, actually improve, uh, improving and expanding the ACA or replacing it with some new, you know, paradigm, uh, very little looks to be done before 2021. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> so the biggest existential threat is, in fact, this attorney's general lawsuit. Uh, let's just park that for a second and simply mm-hmm. say the ACA has had somewhat of a rocky sentiment history, but I think you know, this late in the game, <clears throat> even after all of the chiseling, um, it's still above water in terms of public sentiment. What would you say to people who either are indifferent or perhaps in alignment with the AG lawsuit uh, to take out this law? What would you, what would you say is the, the thing that those in the, the, the negative camp of the Affordable Care Act are not aware of and, and, and therefore at risk for in the event that this suit is successful and this law gets essentially eviscerated? Well, you know, as I said before, if you use the, the whole Swiss Army knife metaphor, I think that most of those folks are either, either they only think, uh, they, some of them seem to be under the, under the impression that the, only, that the ACA is simply Medicaid expansion and subsidized exchange plans, and they don't get, you know, that there's anything else involved. And they may, some of them appear to be taking the attitude that, you know, those, those people, the subsidized enrollees and the Medicaid people, that those are, you know, they're sponging off of the taxpayer and so forth, yada, 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 uh, and, and that it doesn't affect them. Um, and in those cases, I, I'd imagine that most of those people probably have employer-based coverage, right, um, and are, are, or, or they're on Medicare, which is also public, you know, mostly publicly funded, but... That's sort of a, an I've got mine attitude, uh, because if the ACA, you know, were to be repealed, then Medicare would still be around, um, so who knows for how long. Um, or in other cases, they may, in a lot of cases, they may themselves be on the, uh, you know, on the ACA plans or on Medicaid expansion, and they don't even realize it because, you know, we've seen so many polls that show that people don't have a clue that Obamacare is the same thing as the Affordable Care Act which is the same thing as the ACA, which is the same thing as, you know, it's called Connect in Kentucky and, you know, different states have different names for their, for their uh, exchanges and so on, that these are all the same program. And um, so that, that might be part of it as well. Um, but they don't realize that, you know, again, um, the patient protections, a lot of those apply to everyone. So even if you have an employer coverage, things like, you know, lifetime limits or the removal of lifetime limit caps and, uh, you know, essential health benefits, and a lot of the other protections are, are baked in for everybody. And if the law were to be repealed, then those would all go away as well. Um, and I think, I think that a lot of, some people seem to be under the impression that if you just rolled back the clock to 2009, 
you know, to go back 10 years to just before the ACA, that, well, you know, things were fine back then, and, and we can just roll back to them. <laughs> well, first of all, of course, things were not fine by any means, but the other thing is that even if you, even if you felt that way, like even if your situation was pretty good at the time, so many other things have changed in the last decade um, in terms of, for example, um, you know, insurance companies, they used to be able to do medical underwriting, right, where they would you know, comb through your, your medical history and, and so forth to uh, figure out whether they were going to cover you at all or kick you off your policy or, or how much they were going to charge you and so on. So they can't do that anymore. Well, if you go back to that, not only would you have had all that would be coming back, but they could also do things like monitor social media, right? Um, they could, you know, you'd have your insurance carrier could keep an eye on your Twitter or Facebook or Instagram accounts. And if they see that you're out there, you know, kayaking or, you know, you know, doing anything, doing, you know, drinking, you know, oh, it looks like they're drinking a lot, you know, shots of them at the bar a lot, they're going to start messing <laughs> with that as well, you know. So right. like risk rating, basically. Exactly, yeah. exactly, risk rating. And, and that's, uh, I've read a couple of articles. This is actually, there was actually a law passed under President H.W. Bush, believe it or not, back in the early 90s called the GINA law, I think, which actually prevents, is supposed to prevent insurance carriers from, uh, health insurance carriers from uh, basing your premiums on your genetic material, like on, on your DNA. They're not supposed to be able to use right. genetic information, and that was way ahead of its time. Like they saw, you know, the future coming. Um, but that really hasn't been tested yet, because since the ACA has been around, you know, you're not allowed to do that anyway. Well, if you take back the ACA protections, I guarantee you that that's going to start coming up, where you know they're, they're going to start testing that law. What counts as genetic? Because you know they've come such a long way in the last decade, and in uh, you know gene therapy and uh, you know uh, gene research and mapping and all that stuff, so you can't mm-hmm. just roll back the clock a decade. That's the point. So. Yeah. So I, w- I want to thank you for actually saying the P word, uh, patient protections. In fact, the law was the full name of the law is the um, Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act <laughs> PPACA, right? So people forget, yep. and those yep. the two. Hit me up. Questions are and protections are uh, protections for pre-existing conditions, the restrictions on rating to up uh, upcode, if you will, premiums, and then uh, uh, the elimination of lifetime caps. I mean, so there's mm-hmm. tremendous exposure here uh, uh, in that employer-sponsored health insurance marketplace, and I just want to remind people that. Um, there's more here than just Medicaid expansion and the existence of exchanges for um, shopping for qualified health plans. So, Charles, we're um, getting close to the end here. Let's talk a little bit about what's on tap in terms of uh, your blog post about the Medicare uh, for America Act. Talk a little bit about this in terms of this re-upping of single-payer conversation, public option. What's out there? What are we looking at? What can we expect? Sure. So, um, yeah, there's basically eight or nine different bills that have been sort of floating around the Democratic side of the aisle. Um, there's basically crickets on the Republican side, of course. <laughs> but on the Democratic side, there's, there's about eight or nine different bills, and uh, some of them are fairly tame, uh, you know, sort of uh, minor tweaks and so forth. Um, 
you've got uh, like that, you know, my own Senator Gabby Stabenow, she has a bill that would simply allow people from over 50 to buy in, you know, to buy into Medicare, basically from 50 to 64. Um, and that's really all it does. I mean, it, it really doesn't, you know, it doesn't really change much else. It basically says if you're 50 to 64, you're allowed to buy into Medicare. And, you know, it's not a bad bill. It's, it wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, it would, and it would, it would actually help somewhat, but I think most of the democratic base is, you know, the left side of the aisle is, is hungry for something far more, you know, reaching, outreaching there. Um, and uh, then you've got several other bills. Uh, there's one that was introduced last week by um, Senator um, um, uh, oh, uh, uh, Murphy and uh, Merkel, uh, uh, Merkley, sorry, <laughs> uh, the, the Choose mm-hmm. Medicare bill. No and that's, that's basically, that would basically be adding a public option to the ACA. It would keep the ACA around. It would just it would be adding a public option open to anyone regardless of age, the, but most of the buzz seems to be focusing on two main bills. And, and one, of course, is the Medicare for All bill. You know, there, and there's two of them. There's one in the House, one in the Senate. But they're very, very close to each other, very similar to each other. Um, uh, so, you know, Bernie, of course, Bernie Sanders in the Senate and then uh, Representative Jayapal in the House. So that's the single-payer, you know, total to full-blown, full Monty, all the trimmings, Single payer, universal, the works. That's the one that's getting all the attention, uh, and that would be where everything, you know, pretty much everything under the sun would be covered. There would be like zero cost sharing, no premium, no deductibles, no copays, no coinsurance, zero out of pocket. Everything covered by tax dollars for everything for everyone, and then you know you bring taxes to pay for it all, and that's where you know, and of course you gotta uh, be raising federal tax to that. Um, the other bill that I'm um, uh, much more in, in line with is called the Medicare for America bill, and that's the one that I wrote the lengthy blog post about. And that is, it's sort of halfway in between the, uh, the Choose Medicare bill and the Medicare for All bill. It basically, it starts out as a public option added to the ACA exchange for the first couple of years. And for the first two years, it's a, a robust public option with some other improvements give the rest of the system time to prep. And then after that, the way it basically, what it basically becomes is roughly half the country would be automatically enrolled in the program. That is, people who don't have employer coverage, which is about half the population. And that'll be the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank my guest, Charles Gabba, for his time, passion, and dedication to this one's hobby for which we are all grateful. Do check out his work on the web via www.acasignups.net, including more information on supporting his work on Patreon and GoFundMe. Be sure to follow Charles on Twitter via at Charles underscore Gabba. That's G-A-B-A. For This Week in Health Innovation, Healthcare Now Radio and Charles Gabba, this is Greg Masters saying bye now. Bye now.